0: This episode of the Daily 202 podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the US elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com/about/elections. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, October 2nd. In today's news, France announces new restrictions as coronavirus cases surge in Europe. House Democrats advance a $2.2 trillion relief bill after talks with the GOP falter. And outbreaks fuel tensions in college towns across America. But first, the big idea. President Trump announced at 1 a.m. on Friday morning that he and his wife Melania have contracted the coronavirus after months in which he has often played down a pandemic that has killed more than 205,000 of our fellow Americans and sickened millions more. The 74-year-old was diagnosed hours after it became publicly known that Hope Hicks, a top Trump aide who traveled with him on Air Force One and Marine One this week, tested positive earlier that day. The president's physician, Sean Conley, said in the middle of the night that Trump and his wife are both well at this time and they plan to remain at home within the White House during their convalescence. The president is expected to conduct official and political events from the residents, including a call on Friday with senior citizens to discuss the coronavirus. This diagnosis is a jolt for the country's leadership and had some advisors early Friday discussing the continuity of government should the president's condition grow worse. The vice president was not known to be infected. The markets look like they're going to have a sharp sell-off at the open. And Trump's early morning announcement marks an extraordinary turn for the first family, coming little more than a month before Election Day. And as the president has escalated his campaign pace in an effort to catch Joe Biden, who leads in national and key state polls, aides and voters say that Trump trails largely because of his handling of the contagion which has dominated voters' attention along with the economic collapse caused by the pandemic. The virus could further challenge Trump's re-election bid because advisors were hoping to close the gap in upcoming weeks with an aggressive travel schedule and a message that the coronavirus was behind us. That's a hard message to pitch when you have the coronavirus. Since late Tuesday, Trump has appeared with thousands at a rally in Minnesota, debated Biden on stage, and interacted with a coterie of aides and political advisers in the White House. There was no immediate answer from Biden's campaign as to whether he's been tested. After White House officials learned of Hicks's symptoms, Trump and his entourage flew on Thursday to New Jersey, where he attended a fundraiser at his golf club in Bedminster and delivered a speech. Trump was in close contact during the day with dozens of other people, including key campaign supporters, at a roundtable event. The president did not wear a mask on Thursday, including at the events at his golf course and on the plane. He was tested after he returned to the White House. Then he called in to Sean Hannity's TV show from the residence by telephone before he knew the results. Two people who spent time with Trump yesterday told my colleague Josh Dossie that he did not show any noticeable symptoms and was in an upbeat mood, although he acknowledged to other aides later in the day that Hicks was ill. A senior administration official says the White House is not aware of any other additional positive cases as of right now, although aides are going to be tested this morning and then contact traced. Some aides are expected to stay at home for the foreseeable future. The president has been pushing publicly for the country to reopen fully, despite stubbornly high levels of cases, hoping that the resulting economic benefit and potential for nationwide optimism would spur his electoral chances. An infected president raises concerns about reopening businesses and schools. Both key pushes from the president as the disease has spread. Trump's regularly appeared in public and private without a mask, but he's also just recently, yesterday, mocked Biden for wearing one and for curbing his campaign events for safety's sake. Trump has insisted the virus is mostly dangerous to older people, a group to which he belongs, and those with health complications, although medical experts say no one is safe. Trump has publicly and privately squabbled with a number of the medical experts in his own administration over how seriously the White House should take the virus. During a pre-recorded speech to a Catholic charity dinner in New York that aired Thursday night, Trump took his usual optimistic tone. He declared, quote, The end of the pandemic is in sight, and next year will be one of the greatest years in the history of our country. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week comes to an end. Number one. The full-blown second wave that France is now experiencing has many restaurateurs panicking that they will not be able to survive a second shutdown. For weeks, the country has relied on a regional system to implement restrictions in areas where transmission rates are high. But then on Thursday, the health minister for the country said Paris could soon join the maximum risk category, which would mean a complete shutdown early next week of bars, restaurants, and cafes. Some cities, notably Marseille, are already on the list. Paris has so far avoided further restrictions since its lockdown was lifted in mid-May. Overnight, there were massive demonstrations of restaurateurs in Paris who don't want to close down. They fired flares to show protest. But the health minister says that in the last 24 hours, the capital city crossed multiple thresholds that make it a maximum risk environment. The transmission rate in Paris has risen above 250 cases per 100,000, and the percentage of those who have tested positive who require intensive care is now hovering somewhere around 35 percent, one in three people. James McCauley, our man in Paris, reports that elected officials in Marseille, already under the stricter closures, are blasting the French government for not including local officials in making these decisions. The deputy mayor overnight accused the national government of, quote, asphyxiating the city. And just across the border in Spain, the national government overnight ordered Madrid to lock down as cases soar. Residents will be banned from leaving Madrid, except on essential trips. Some regional authorities say that government's decision has no legal basis, setting the stage for a political and legal fight. Number two, back here in the States, House Democrats last night passed a $2.2 trillion stimulus bill despite GOP opposition. The legislation, which passed narrowly, 214 to 207, has no chance of advancing in the Republican-led Senate, and it's opposed by the White House. But with the House set to recess today, through the election, Speaker Nancy Pelosi acceded to demands from moderates in her caucus who wanted to take action before heading home to campaign for re-election. Republicans railed against Pelosi for advancing a show bill that has no chance of becoming law, accusing her of playing politics. And even though it was largely pressure from moderate Democrats, some in tough reelection races, they broke with Pelosi, too. Eighteen mostly centrist Democrats voted no on the show package. Behind the scenes, Pelosi was, in fact, trying still to strike a bipartisan deal with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. The two spent the day trading calls and offers. And although Pelosi said they remain far apart on some issues, negotiations are continuing and appear to be getting into some granular details like specific language on coronavirus testing. Even if they do manage to clinch a deal, though, the White House would still have to sell it to Senate Republicans, who have expressed deep skepticism of any package over a trillion dollars. Mnuchin went into talks with Pelosi offering to spend $1.62 trillion. Pelosi again wants $2.2 trillion. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has sounded skeptical about the possibility of reaching any new deal, but in an interview late Thursday night on Fox News, he said he would evaluate any agreement that Trump comes up with with Pelosi. Number 3. As the coronavirus surged in Georgia this summer, aggressive efforts by the city of Athens to curb transmission, with the state's first local shelter-in-place order and its second mask mandate, looked to be paying off. Case numbers were among the lowest in the state, and hopes were rising that schoolchildren in one of Georgia's poorest counties might return to their classrooms this fall. But then in August, the biggest school in town reopened, the University of Georgia, Coronavirus cases exploded among the 39,000 students, temporarily turning athens Clark County into one of the nation's biggest coronavirus hotspots, and in the view of many residents and local leaders, recklessly endangering the community. Karen Brouillard reports that campus outbreaks have been fueling rising tensions in college towns and cities across America, from San Diego to Morgantown, West Virginia, even though there's little evidence so far of spillover into local populations. In many ways, these dynamics reflect enduring town-and-gown friction, characterized in recent decades by clashes over student behavior and land use by universities. But never before have the conflicts played out amid a global pandemic that's forcing colleges and local governments to balance life-or-death matters of community health against the financial solvency of higher education institutions that in many cases are their town's biggest economic engines. In some communities, local governments and schools have presented a united front, but increases in cases have stirred resentment among residents and triggered student-directed crackdowns by public health officials. In others, elected officials and university administrators are publicly trading blame and sparring over strategy. In Athens, the university's handling of the campus outbreak has become a lightning rod, spurring student protests, angry letters from residents, and admonishments from faculty. The university has defended its efforts, pointing to dropping case numbers, but to the frustration of city leaders, The school is pressing ahead with plans on Saturday to host 23,000 people at the Georgia Bulldogs' first home football game of the season. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, October 2nd. Thank you for listening. Our show is produced by Ariel Plotnick. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. I'm James Holman. Stay safe this weekend. The virus is no joke. I'll talk to you on Monday. This episode of the Daily 202 Podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the U.S. elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com about elections.